Good morning, and thanks for joining me Thursday morning. I feel as though I should st- like just stop talking about the weather. <laughs> I, because at the start of the week, you know, we're like, okay, look, we lived through an extreme cold snap, but it's going to get better. And each day, it seems like Environment Canada is pushing it back a day, pushing it back again today. Extreme, extreme cold warning for much of the province. Saskatoon's feeling it. Regina's feeling it. Central and South Saskatchewan. Yeah, you look at the forecast. Now the weekend isn't quite as warm. We can't use the word balmy, that's for sure. That's maybe into next week. But yeah, extreme cold again today. Warming a bit for the weekend. Well, another uh, full day today, lots to talk about. Uh, We've been weighing in on the teacher strike, the student scores when it comes to math and reading, and I feel like we're going through the list of guests when it comes to this. We had Minister of Education Jeremy Cockerell on the show, STF President Samantha Beacott, yesterday NDP education critic Matt Love. We had two speech-language pathologists who recently retired, worked in the schools, and they provided, I thought, some really good insight as to what they saw as being the problems from an independent lens. Well, today we've got the Premier. Scott Moe will be joining us just after 9 o'clock, and uh, we'll be talking a a lot about the teacher situation, education in the province, and and kind of where we're headed into 2024. U.S. election is heating up. Donald Trump seemingly defying the odds in terms of popular support. I, I honestly don't know how this guy does it. He's facing criminal and civil charges you know, by day, he's sitting in courtrooms. At night, he's on the campaign trail, seeming to be unfazed by this. He's linked to the insurrection at the Capitol in 2021, yet he just won the Iowa caucuses. So we've got an expert joining us, a political science expert from Ryerson University, and uh, we'll dig into the state of politics in the United States a little bit later this morning as well. Time now for the big talker. Let's get out of it, Michelle. Welcome. Let's begin. The Evan Bray Show, the big talker. Well, it's now day four of the three-week-long inquest into the mass stabbing attack that happened back in September of 22 on James Smith Cree Nation in the nearby village of Weldon. We talked uh, this week, and we've been kind of reminding what an inquest is about. An inquest is not like a trial. It's not like a criminal trial. It's not like a civil trial. It's about fact-finding, not fault-finding. So it's it's a way to understand better what happened. There is a jury that is there, and their role is to take everything in, all of the evidence that's presented, and then at the end, come up with recommendations that might prevent a tragedy like this happening in the future. And so as this continues to unfold... We continue to get updates on this tragic day. 11 people were killed. 17 were hurt in that tragedy. A very dark day in Saskatchewan's history. 980 CJME senior reporter Lisa Schick is in Melfort this week. uh, There until the end of the inquiry, which, like we've said, could stretch as long as three weeks. And she checks in with us again this morning. Lisa, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, good morning. So, Yesterday, a bit of a recap. What did we what did we hear yesterday in the inquest? Yesterday, we heard from uh, more RCMP officers. We heard from the uh, current detachment commander in Melford. We also heard from the two RCMP officers who were the first on the scene. They were the first responders that day, and uh, what they described was 
a, a scene of just chaos. They got their first call. They rushed out there. As they were rushing out there, there were four more calls out to the First Nation. And they talked about, you know, having to decide where they needed to go first. What was uh, the place where they were needed most? They talked about trying to decide, you know, at some point they figured out that this was an active scene. This wasn't just something that had happened. This was happening as they were there. So they had to decide, you know, do we stay at these scenes? Do we try to save people's lives who are here right now? Or, and this is what they ended up deciding, was do they go and try to head off Miles Sanderson, try to stop him from hurting any more people? And, you know, Lisa, as I listened to you report on that yesterday, and I followed you on social media as well, I completely put myself in their shoes. When when police training happens, they will, especially in, in the case of, you know, let's call it, we call it active shooter training sometimes in policing, where you will go into a simulated training exercise in a school, for example, and there's a known threat there. Your goal in going into that scene is to stop the threat. So I can only appreciate how challenging it is when they're going from home to home seeing people, in many cases, bleeding, suffering from serious injuries, in some cases deceased already, and yet knowing that the rampage was continuing, it it must have been emotional for the officers that were on the stand. Well, Constable Maynard, he definitely got emotional a couple times there, kind of his voice hitching, he kind of paused for a moment. The first time was when he was describing uh, Carol Burns, uh, that house they had gone there, they went in, assessed the situation, and he said when he went in, he saw Carol Burns on the ground, and the, I guess he described it as different kinds of blood that were around her, and he knew that she was about to or had already passed away. But he encouraged one of her family members to keep doing CPR because he said in his experience it's important to give the family of people the chance to be able to say that they did everything that they could to save their family. And the second time was when he was answering some questions from the family. Some of the families have standing and can ask questions of the witnesses. And he was describing, you know, how difficult it is to make that decision, how difficult it is to walk past somebody that needs your help because you've decided that you're needed more elsewhere. It's pretty intuitive. We're talking with Lisa Schick, senior reporter, on scene at the inquest in Malford, it, you know, intuitive for the officer to be thinking about the fact that even though the chance of saving a person may not be great, giving people the ability to say they did everything they could, um, you know, I th- I really think instinctively that was a very good decision. Uh, y- you also reported throughout the day yesterday that you really got a sense of of the timeline and Damien, the brother to Miles. We, we find out now through the inquest, he was likely the first one murdered. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the timeline described him as, as the very first death. You know, there was one house that the two of them had went to, Miles and Damien, and one man was attacked. He was actually the first call that came in. Yeah, one man was attacked, and Miles was stabbing him with, with scissors, and then he grabbed a knife. But Damien stepped in and kind of seemed to, to pull him off him and, like, get him out of the house, almost interfering with what uh, Miles was doing. Then, according to RCMP, they were together, they drove off, and then there was some sort of argument, and Miles attacked Damien. Of course, this is according to RCMP. Miles attacked Damien 
while they were driving, Damien got out and ran off, and he ended up, I guess, wandering or running into the tall grass, and that's where he died. So he was the very first death in this rampage, which is, of course, very different from what we knew at the time when there were concerns that they were both together and they were both wanted. That's because they didn't actually find Damien's body until more than 24 hours, probably 36 hours after he died. So the fact that that Miles Sanderson, shortly after he was arrested, he died in police custody, and we do have a second inquest coming up late February with regard to that. Um, we we have a lot of unanswered questions. Did we get anywhere yesterday during the inquest, Lisa, in understanding some of the reasons why he was choosing the houses that he was and the victims that Miles chose? You know, in part, but also not. I mean, they talked about um, messages that were coming between uh, Damien and some of the people that had been in the homes that were attacked. There were uh, some talk of, you know, drugs, people that wanted drugs or, or were looking for them or some frustrations that might have been there between the two sides. We know that uh, Miles had been selling cocaine on the First Nation just the day before. There was some talk about, uh, in one instance, Miles was coming to collect a debt that he felt that he owed. But in a lot of cases, it wasn't terribly clear why they were going to which house. There were some houses where there didn't seem to be an explanation or there wasn't one that was provided by RCMP. There was one house, for example, the very last house that uh, Miles visited on the First Nation. He went in, he was asking for somebody who wasn't there, and then on his way out, he stabbed the two women that were there. 980 CJME senior reporter Lisa Schick on scene at the inquest in Melford. So as we know, at the end of this, the jury will come out with some recommendations. And so, you know, I think as these things unfold, we automatically start training ourselves to think about what those recommendations might be. I understand yesterday there was a lot of talk and questions about warrants. When someone's out on a warrant, what is being done to look for them? Do, do we see that as likely something that might follow through with a, with a recommendation from the jury? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a theme in some of those questions, and warrants is one of them. There were a lot of questions about, you know, um, how do Melford RCMP deal with warrants? How important are these? How do you organize these? And a lot of questions from some of the families about, you know, why wasn't Miles more important in this? So that could certainly be some of the recommendations, and it definitely seems like that's what some of the uh, lawyers, some of the questions are angling toward. When you were uh, referring to the fact you heard from the uh, officer in charge of the Melfort detachment, uh, there was a discussion, too, about resources and about how busy they are, response time, those types of things. D- do we think that will make up part of where this ends up going in terms of recommendations? You know, I could see that. Uh, being part of them, whether it's that they feel that the RCMP should be better resourced, whether they think Melfort uh, detachment specifically should have more officers, because he was talking about, you know, he has uh, his 16 uh, positions filled at the Melfort RCMP. It's not like they have any empty positions right now, but he said if we had more, there's so much more that they could do when he was specifically talking about dealing with the drug trade, because he said those investigations are so complicated because they don't really happen in public. They're kind of behind closed doors. He said, there's nobody, there is no detachment commander who's going to say no to more officers. But he also said they have a really high workload. 
but there are other detachments that have an even higher workload. So you kind of put them in the middle there. Lisa Schick, our senior reporter who's at the inquest into the James Smith Cree Nation deaths. So I, I heard you do a couple of interviews, too, with leaders and community members after the inquest uh, shut down for the day. There seems to be some some critical thought around, you know, maybe this isn't going to meet the needs as they thought. Where is that criticism coming from? That's coming from a couple of the community members that uh, media spoke to yesterday. We're talking to Stuart Head and Daryl Burns. Uh, both of them were related to people who unfortunately died in the killings. Um, Stuart Head uh, used to be part of the security team that's now on the First Nation. And they were both saying, you know, there are things that are needed in their communities that they think are needed that aren't really happening. They don't really feel like they're getting answers at this inquest or not the answers that they feel like they need. And Daryl Burns was talking about, you know, the justice system hasn't really been terribly kind to Indigenous people um, historically in the past, even right now, if you look at a lot of the stories we're seeing that come out of there. And he said he doesn't know if they have faith in this process. They don't really have faith in the justice system. Do they have faith in the inquest situation that they're in right now? And he said, I don't, he doesn't really think that they do. You know, I, I, I think part of the challenge is understanding the role of an inquest because there's no doubt, no doubt in my mind, there are community members, family members, grieving people in our province that are attending the inquest, hoping to get answers, and they may not get them. If the investigation didn't bring out the answers, the inquest won't either. And so, you know, it could be a bit of a misunderstanding or, or maybe just the perception about what that inquest will bring because the inquest is bringing everything the investigation did. Um, but if the investigation didn't give answers to certain questions, it won't come there. Lisa, what can we expect today? Today, uh, we are expecting to hear from the uh, person who was the commanding officer of the Melfort Detachment at that time. That's actually a different person from the person who is now. Um, he was supposed to give evidence yesterday, but they ran kind of long, so he's been pushed to today. Um, we also could hear from... Vanessa Burns and Sky Sanderson. Vanessa was Miles's wife. Sky was Damien's wife, and and they could give evidence on you know what they saw, what they did in those days leading up to and on the day of the killing. Thanks for your time this morning, Lisa. We'll check in again tomorrow morning. Thank you, Lisa Schick, nine eighty CJME senior reporter. And don't forget, you can follow Lisa. She's uh, posting on social media updates throughout the day as well. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks for joining us on this cold Thursday morning. Yet again, we are seeing an extreme cold warning in effect for much of our province, but uh, hoping to see some some daylight, some sunshine, if you will, and warmer temperatures as we head into the weekend. I mentioned Premier Scott Moe will be joining me just after 9. Looking forward to this conversation. We'll take a deeper dive into education, the teacher strike, and what we're going to do to find our way out of it. That's with Premier Mo next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.